Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to know when lives are impacted. And if that is you, please shoot us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Happy uh, 4th of July weekend. You guys love the 4th of July? I love the 4th of July. I love fireworks, and I love flags, and I love red, white, and blue, and barbecues, and everything that comes with the 4th of July. But mostly what I love about the 4th of July is what it is. It's the freedoms that we have as a country, that we're free to get to go to church, that I as a woman get to stand up here and bring God's word this morning. And so I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for men and women who fight to protect our country and to fight those or to protect those freedoms. And so if you are someone who is uh, in the service, we just thank you today for that. We thank you for your commitment to our country. We appreciate you. But this morning, I, I get the opportunity to bring God's word, and it's not something that I take lightly. It's something that um, whenever the opportunity is presented to me, I know that I need to jump on that because usually what happens is while I'm preparing, God's preparing me. While I'm studying, God's doing some work on me, and I always get so much more out of what I'm studying than maybe you even get, but that's okay, because if I only do it for me, I feel better, but I know that the Holy Spirit's going to come in and, and work with us today and, and meet you where you're at. So, are you guys ready to dig into God's Word today? You guys are the 11 o'clock service. You're my favorite service, because you are the ones that got sleep, so you are like rested and refreshed, and you're here, and you're ready to go, so... Let's just pray before we dig into God's word. God, we thank you so, so much for this opportunity today. God, we thank you that we get to be in your house, that we get the freedom to choose to be here, Lord. So I just ask that right now you'd come, that you'd open our eyes, our ears, our minds, that we would receive what you have for us. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us where we came. So God, we just ask that as we press in that this is not a monologue that I'm giving, Lord, but it's a dialogue that we take with us and carry throughout the week. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, do we have any um, people in the room who like to go camping? I'm kind of surprised because usually you would think like on the 4th of July weekend, people who like to go camping are, are camping. Well, I don't like to go camping at all. I mean, you can't even pretty package it and say, let's go glamping, because it still has amping in the word, and I know that that means we're going to be outside. Now, there's a lot of things that I don't like about camping, so I'll tell you a few, just so you get to know me. I don't like to be outside, and that would be like the number one reason. I don't like to be hot. I don't like bugs. I don't like sleeping in confined spaces with people. I don't like the smell that comes from burning wood. I don't like to be without the ability to take a shower as long and as hot as I would like. You see, when you go camping, you can't do that. But my family, not like my family, like my husband and my kids, thankfully God blessed me with a husband who thinks camping is a hotel. Amen to that. But my parents and my 
brother and his family, they love to go camping. Sometimes I look at my family and think, are, how are we related? I mean, you are so different from me. And I, of course, think that they're wrong and I'm right. But anyway, they go camping. And once or twice a year, they take my boys camping. And always what happens is my boys come home and they're like, Mom, camping is awesome. Why don't you like to go camping? It's so much fun. And I'm like, boy, you don't even know what camping is. Let me take you on a journey. See, back in 1991, when I went camping, your grandparents did not roll up to their resort campground in their miniature house on wheels, all decked out with hardwood floors, leather furniture, surround sound, air conditioning. No, you know what it was? It was a tent. We went in a tent, and we had to sleep on an air mattress. There was no bed with nice bedding. We were in a sleeping bag. And sometime during the night, while sharing air mattress with your uncle, it would deflate. And so we would wake up on the ground. There wasn't a playground when I went camping. There wasn't a swimming pool, a rec room. No, there was a field with a rock pile. If you were bored in 1991, child, you couldn't go into the camper and watch a movie and eat a snack. No, you just stayed bored. Back when I was a kid, the campground I went to was in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't even a bathroom at this campground. If you wanted to wash your hands, you had to stand so grandpa could pour water from a pitcher that he filled up a mile up the road. That is why I don't like camping, my child. It was an awful experience. The only activity to do while camping was to tube down the river. Have you guys ever tubed down a river? Inner tubed, you know, you get one of those giant black donut things and you ride down the water. Now, I was skeptical of this idea because as much as I don't like camping, I also don't like water. But what really turned me off to the idea was when we walked to the place where you were to get into the river and there was a herd of cows. And even at the age of 10, I knew that when you float downstream from cows, nothing good comes of that. So I was like, I'm out. Nope, not doing it. But the saving grace in all of this was the fact that if you floated down the whole way, you could stop at one bridge, but most of the people that we camped with, they wanted to go the whole way to experience it all. I don't know why. But anyway, if you went the whole way, it was too far to walk back to the campground. So somebody had to volunteer to stay back and drive a truck to the bridge to pick up the tubers and the tubes. And luckily for me, that was my dad. Now, he didn't have issues with the cows like I did. He nearly drowned as a kid, so that's why he didn't want to go. So it worked out in my favor. But it was there that my dad taught me the art of skipping rocks. Have you guys ever done that? Do you skip rocks into the water? So we would go and we would wait and he would teach me and I loved picking up rocks and watching them go into the water and see all these ripples that it would create. I would see what would happen if I used a big rock or if I used a small rock, if I used more force or less force. And, and I don't know, maybe it was a way to express my, my frustration with being stuck 
in this awful place. But throwing those rocks into the water was just fascinating. Seeing them sink and watch the ripples um, come off of them just mesmerized me for hours. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. I want to talk to you about staying power. And that's the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, but staying power. How one simple act can create ripples that impact the future. And to do that, we're going to look at the life of Ruth. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there with me, uh, go ahead. But if not, don't worry, we're going to put it on the screen. And at first glance, the book of Ruth might just seem like it's a story of a woman and her mother-in-law. But really, it's a book that symbolically illustrates the redeeming power of Jesus. So we're going to walk through this book today, and I'm going to summarize most of it for you. And if you haven't read it, or maybe it's been a while, I would really encourage you to go read it. It's super short. I think it's only four chapters. Probably take you 15 minutes. But just to kind of put you up to speed, the book starts with a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons and and they've moved from Israel or they moved from Israel to a country Moab. Now Moab was a land that was just short of the promised land and the Moabites they were enemies of the Israelites who were known as as God's chosen people. So here we have this family that has a famine in their land and they're going to move and, and start over in this new place. And we're going to pick up in verse 3 and this is what it says. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, in this period of time, it was customary for a woman to remain with her husband's family even if her husband had died. And so that's where we find Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. They're widowed, they're destitute, they're filled with grief. All the plans that they have for their life are suddenly gone. Naomi hears that the famine is over in Israel, and she says, you know what, I don't have anything left here to stay for, so we're going to go home. And she takes her two daughters-in-law with her. Now somewhere on the middle of this journey, Naomi changes her mind. She says to Orpah and Ruth, you know what, go home. Thank you for all that you've done for me. I bless you. I love you. But I just give you permission to, to go home to your parents and, and find another husband. So, of course, there's a lot of crying and a lot of hugging and kissing. And the girls decide, we're not leaving. And Naomi says, yes, you are. She says, do not stay with me. I'm old and you are doomed if you stay. The Lord's hand is against me. So then there's more crying, and there's more hugging, and ladies, if you're sitting next to a man, tell him it's just our emotions, it's okay. So they cry, and they hug, and Orpah decides to leave, but Ruth clings to Naomi. Her husband has died. 
Her mother-in-law tells her to go home, but I want to show you the choice that Ruth made and what she says to her mother-in-law. And it's in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Mary, the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went out until they came to Bethlehem. So the first thing I want to show you in this story is that Ruth chose loyalty. You know, Loyalty is a lost virtue in our world today. We follow and we unfollow. We friend and we unfriend. We choose one loyalty rewards program over another all day long. Loyalty is one of those things that can be so hard to live out, but it's so easy to expect from those around us. Ruth's speech to Naomi was just the essence of loyalty. She said, wherever you go, I'm going. Your house is going to be my house. Your people, those are my people. Where you die, I'm going to die. Ruth wasn't messing around here. She could have said, you know, I'll go. I'll check it out. I'll see how I feel about it. And then I'll decide. But she didn't. She said, I'm all in. I'm going to stay loyal to you. And I do want to point out that loyalty doesn't mean that they control you. Loyalty means that I have decided that this relationship, this friendship, this job, this church, this marriage is worth the effort and the energy it's going to take to get us through this diff difficult situation, through this season. And once we get through it, we're going to be stronger on the other side because we stayed loyal. You know, you don't have to be loyal to everyone, but you do have to be loyal to someone and some things. You know, what would have happened if Ruth hadn't said, I'm going to stay loyal to Naomi? She could have been like, I know we're related, and I know I'm kind of a part of the family, but, you know, since my husband died, I don't know how I feel connected to you. Like, I just don't feel that anymore. You know, she could have stayed in Moab. She could have gone back to her parents' house, but she chose loyalty. She said, Naomi, I am with you, heart and soul. No matter the outcome, we're in this together. If she hadn't made that decision, she would have stayed in Moab. And you know, Moab was a place that was just outside of God's promised land. And it represents stopping short of what God has for you. It's so important that we make the decision to be connected. You don't know the impact on your future that one powerful decision could make. You know, here at this church, we encourage you to get connected in a few ways. You know, we, we offer teams. What would happen if you joined a team and you were a part of something that invested in you? What would happen if you joined a community group? where you were a part of something that you were growing in God's word during the week? You know, what would happen if you made the decision to take the step and, and go to growth track, where you could discover the unique ways that God has gifted you and how you can leverage those gifts to make a difference? 
You see, all these things that we offer aren't so that we can get something from you. It's so that we have something for you. It's so that you can have some staying power. So that you aren't just showing up to church and and crossing it off your to-do list. But it's so that you are a part of a community where you know you belong. I love this verse in Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Ruth chose loyalty. She clung tightly to Naomi. But you know, Naomi, she didn't make it easy on Ruth. Her situation really goes from bad to worse. Have you ever felt like that? Like, we're in bad, and now it's gotten really bad? So Ruth lost her husband, which was awful. She's leaving her family, which she's known. And along the way, something happens in Naomi. Naomi's not in a good place. And I want to show you what I mean by that. So look at me, look with me at verse 19. It says, So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Now, Naomi's been gone for 10 years, and suddenly she's back, and everyone's like, oh, Naomi. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So we find Ruth staying loyal to someone who's not easy to love. Naomi has renamed herself Mara, which means bitter. Can you put yourself in those shoes? Have you ever had to deal with someone who who is bitter about whatever circumstance or situation life has handed them? It's difficult. It's not pleasant. It's not an easy experience. So, So what does Ruth do in that situation? Well, She chose to stay consistent. In the midst of Naomi's grief and sorrow, Ruth was able to see that God was still for them. And despite this terrible situation that they were in, she decided that she would stay consistent. We don't find Ruth anywhere in the story trying to control Naomi. We don't see her trying to change Naomi's feelings. We don't see her trying to counsel Naomi through her grief. We don't see her to painting the glass half full, you know, saying, hey, Naomi, like, we're back in your homeland and all your friends are excited to see you. We don't see her saying that. We don't see Ruth saying, Naomi, think about me. Think about my feelings, what I've been through. We don't see Ruth saying, you know, look what I gave up to be with you. It's just time to, to get over this, Naomi. All she does is stay consistent. She stays true to who she is and what God has called her to do, and she keeps going. You know, sometimes we feel it's it's easier to try and control our, 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 our circumstances rather than just stay consistent to what we know God is calling us to do. This summer, for the past month, I have been spending my mornings at the outdoor pool watching my three boys in swimming lessons. And if you've never 
watched kids' swimming lessons, you really should because it's quite entertaining. My kids are all over the place in their, their swimming abilities. Grant, our youngest son, he um, told his teacher that he was unable to go under the water because it would make him go blind. <laughs> and he really believes this. And he spent his lessons finding ways to like outsmart the teacher. So she would be like, okay, everybody, like, go under, do your bobs. And he would wait until she turned her back, and then he'd scoop water and like put it on the top of his head so it looked like he had done his bobs. I didn't want to tell him, you know you're not fooling her, but anyway, he also gets to repeat that course next year. <laughs> but Reese, he is actually a pretty good swimmer, and you know, he's up in the, the higher levels, and, and he, does, he does good. He, he's, he, he works hard. He's doing his floats and his back floats, and, and he has no problem bobbing under the water and no fear of, of going blind, but he has one fear. And that fear is the deep end. You see, when he's in the four-foot water, he knows that at any moment that he needs to, he can stand up and recover and rescue himself and be fine. But when you go into the 12-foot water, you can't stand up. He knows that in the shallow end, he has control, but in the deep end, he doesn't. And I knew the day would come with the lessons when the teacher would say, all right, we're going to the deep end. And, you know, I sat there and I watched my son face this fear of his. You know, he, all the kids were in the pool and he was the last one. And, and he was standing on the edge and I could tell, like, his mind, what it was going. You know, like, okay, I know I need to jump. I've seen these guys jump. I know the teacher's saying jump. But I don't want to leave this. Like, over there, it's not safe. Right here, it's safe. And so he's teetering back and forth, you know, of, of should I jump, should I not jump? And all the while, his coach is like, Reese, right here, just, just jump right here. If you jump here, I can catch you. I'm going to catch you. And so we go through this, this motion of back and forth, and, and he finally plunks into the water. And, you know, he, he does that, like, belly flop a little bit where it's not really a jump. It's more like a walk. And he goes in, and he comes up, and his arms, he's, he's splashing around. And I hear the teacher say, Reese, you got to relax. you got to relax. And so Reese does that, and he's able then to, to flip over on his back and float as he needs to. All the while, his coach is saying, I'm right here. I got you. You're fine. And so we went through this routine day after day until finally the last day, He's no longer plunking. He's diving because he stayed consistent to what the coach has told him to do. He's followed the instructions. He's realized that if I jump in, he's right there and he's going to catch me. I'm not going to fall. And I think sometimes we have to do that. You know, God's calling us to do something, to go deep, but we know here in the shallow end we're okay, but he's right there beside us the whole time. And as long as we consistently jump where he tells us, he's right by our side and we're not going to drown because he's there to catch us. We have to let go of our control and just realize that consistency is what we need to do. Naomi was hurting, she was grieving, and it's explainable why, why she was bitter. But Ruth didn't try to change her mind. You know, God 
isn't holding us accountable for others' actions. We only have to be concerned with ourselves. Ruth came to terms with the fact that Naomi might not change, but she was committed to her relationship with her. She realized that God didn't need her help to change Naomi. She just kept her eyes on God and what God was calling her to do, and she responded in the situation, and she let God deal with Naomi. And here's what else Ruth chose to do. She chose to stay diligent. And we see this in chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Well, in Ruth's time, gleaning was a custom that, that during the harvest, the poor... They were allowed to, to follow behind the, the reapers and pick up any uh, grain that had fallen or that was left behind, and then they could use that as their own food. And the, the word glean means to draw or derive or to extract. So many times when I'm faced with a difficult situation, you know, I just, I just kind of want to wallow in it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, God, why is this happening to me? Like, I am a good person, God, so why do these things keep happening to me? Sometimes I want to complain about the situation or the circumstances. You know, this isn't fair. And we're not alone in this because throughout the Bible, there are stories of people who did just that. Do you know the story in Exodus where the Israelites, they, they were in captivity to, to Egypt and, and Moses led them out of Egypt and they had to go through the desert to get to the promised land. Well, they ended up staying in the desert for 40 years. And what a lot of people don't realize about the story is, is really it was just a two-week journey. They just had to go through the desert to the promised land. But what happened was when they got in the desert, the Israelites started complaining Oh, we're so hot. Oh, it's so hard here. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. They complained so much that they ended up being stuck for 40 years. We get stuck because all we want to do is gripe and complain, and we just refuse to, to get up and glean. You know, God loves a diligent person. A diligent person is someone who's full of faith. They're ready. They're, they're looking because they know a blessing is coming. Instead of complaining about the circumstances, they're focusing on the good. Instead of giving over to despair, they're searching for bright spots. Instead of questioning, they're learning. What can I learn from this? A diligent person lets go of the question why, and they turn to the question what. What, God, do you want me to learn from this situation? We can miss out on a blessing when we're too busy complaining about our circumstances. Ruth chose to stay diligent, and she goes out to glean, but this is where her story is about to change. Ruth hasn't let her circumstances dictate and control her responses. She stayed loyal. She stayed consistent. She stayed diligent. And she's going about life, doing what she's supposed to do. And she heads out to gather some food. And, and she's working in the field of a relative of her deceased father-in-law, 
Elimelech. And that relative's name was Boaz. Boaz. It just sounds, I don't know, handsome. Don't you think? Like when you think of Boaz, don't you just think of like, like big biceps and like a, a ripped stomach, strong Boaz. Like I kind of think of my husband when I think of Boaz. But the Bible tells us that Ruth found favor with Boaz. And I want to show you what he says to her when they first meet. So chapter 2, verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go out and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along with, after the other women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth was doing nothing to draw attention to herself. She was just staying true to what God had called her to do. She stayed the course, and God put her in Boaz's field, which put her in a position to receive a blessing. Ruth goes on to find even more favor with Boaz, and eventually he marries her. And, and I skipped some of the good drama in this story. It turns out that, you know, there's another relative of Elimelech who, who basically has, like, first rights of refusal for all of his property, and, and that would include Ruth. So Boaz has to go out, and he fights for her, and, and he wins, and the elders and all the people, they come out, and they bless their marriage. And here's the whole point that I'm trying to make today. Ruth never would have found Boaz if she hadn't stayed loyal to Naomi. You see, she created a ripple effect when she chose to be loyal, when she chose to be consistent, when she chose to be diligent. Her journey wasn't easy. You know, just because we choose something that's good and we know it's right doesn't mean that we're automatically exempt from trials in life. You know, James tells us that there will be trials in our life. But look with me what he says in chapter 12, or verse 12 of chapter 1. From the Amplified uh, Bible, it says, Blessed is the man who is steadfast under trial and perseveres when tempted. For when he has passed the test and been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Ruth, she stood fast and persevered under these trials. And you know, life is, is full of struggles and blessings, and, and you don't really get one without the other. But it's what you do in the midst of that struggle that puts you in the place to receive the blessing. Without the struggle, you wouldn't even appreciate the blessing. And you know, in honor of, of God at the Movies coming up and, and, and chick flicks, we're just going to look at Ruth as kind of like the ultimate chick flick in the Bible. And you know, chick flicks, they always end on a happy note. 
And so I want to show you some more of Ruth's blessings. In chapter 4, verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. So she got a husband and a baby boy. But there's more. Verse 14. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Ruth's faithfulness renewed the life of her mother-in-law. Not because of anything she did for her, but because she stayed with what God was calling her to do. And it was a blessing for Ruth to watch her mother-in-law's life be renewed. And you know, the, the biggest blessing of all in Ruth's life, she never even saw it. Sometimes we go through things and, and we walk through some, some dark valleys and we stay and we don't even realize the impact that we've made because we don't get the, the chance to see that blessing. And that's what happened to Ruth. Ruth's biggest blessing happens in, can be found in Matthew chapter 1. It says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. I'm going to skip down to verse 5 because there's a lot of names I don't want to stumble over. And it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. God made Ruth an ancestor of David and of Jesus. Ruth was blessed more than anything she could see because she stayed true to who God was calling her to be. Sometimes you can't always see the full effect of the choices that you make. But when you choose to stay loyal, even when it'd be easier to leave, when you choose to stay consistent, even when it's easy to quit, or when you choose to stay diligent, when you can't see the fruit of your efforts, you can know that God makes his power available to you and the blessings that come of it will be greater than you can even know.